I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. I'm talking about all set. I'm talking about waking up the God inside of you. I'm talking about when our people are put in situations of adversity, that's when we shine the best. Under pressure, that's when we turn into black diamonds. I was made for this. I'm not a product of the cages that they raise us in. No, no. Bred to be a king, I'm not a slave to this. I was made for 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 this. I'm not a product of the cages that they raise us in. Bred to be a king, I'm not a slave to this. They don't know fact from fiction. They don't know the blacks is missing. They don't know they trapped in prison. They don't know the path to prison was a math decision. They don't know the rap is quicken. They don't know the ass they kissing on the path of mission to put their ass in prison. They don't know black religion, fact and fiction. They don't know mama didn't leave them niggas half the kitchen with half a chicken. Fact or fiction, we still hot. Peace. This is Prince Culture Law, and I stay tuned into Necessary Blackness Podcast with Raheem Shabazz. This is KB The Voice, and you're checking out Necessary Blackness, the podcast. And whenever I'm looking for commentary and insight into our viewpoints, I check out Necessary Blackness. Yo, this is Gosh from OMGP Media, and I'm checking in with Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I'm your host, Raheem Shabazz, and I'm here with Kofi. What's going on? Hey, man, same old two-step, man. We got a real good discussion that we're going to talk about today, and the premise of my, I don't want to say argument, but the premise of what I'm going to base my ideology on is from Dr. Amos Wilson, who says that you can't put your faith in the white man's laws. So that's what we're going to discuss today, family. And um, we're going to make sure that we deliver solutions to problems because we definitely have a problem when we put our faith in the white man's laws. Um, real quickly, what do you think about, you know, those of us that protest and want to get laws enacted and once these laws are enacted, we, sit, we, we feel a sense of freedom of making progress do you think that these laws that are being enacted actually help us uh i I think the law following the laws the way that they're structured or uh trying to trying to get them enforced it's admirable but it's it's something that if we don't have a certain code of values that we follow it's not going to be as effective as it could be you know they can help us with laws but um, it, it takes people to make the laws enforceable. We gotta really enforce the laws. You know? All right, I'm glad you said that. Now, when you say um, they gotta have codes for us to follow, what codes are you talking about? Like, like I'm saying that we we as a we as a people have to have code codes of conduct. Uh, 
Nearly Fuller, you know, Nearly Fuller yeah. talks about a certain code of conduct in, uh, in a certain type of society that's racist and based on racism. So I think we have to consider those things. Even when the uh, so-called dominant society or the majority society and that's laws, it's not going to necessarily help us if we're not moving in um, a direction as a people to really be able to build upon that, those things. So, so when white people make laws, they build you know, economies out of it and they build uh, laws around their economies and basically that's the, what's giving them power you know and, and we have to have the same kind of economy if we really want to be able to impact people really enforcing the laws that you know and of course <laughs> military might everybody has their own police force in their neighborhoods and there's nothing wrong with people who uh, want investigations done asking other people you know do investigations for them you know, and, and I, I just know like PIs are, are a system of enforcement that I think we should be looking at because that kind of gives a really local form of control as far as investigating certain things, you know, and stuff like that. So that's what the police say that they can do. They come in and try to arrest everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, laws are no stronger than, than their enforcers. And that's one of the things uh, Dr. Amos Wilson teaches us. Um, also, he tells us, you know, the same people who passes the laws are the ones who are responsible for enforcing them. And that if society would ever have to choose between feeding white children or feeding black children, that no amount of civil rights laws are going to be enacted that will make them choose another race of people than their own. So we have to understand that. And one of the things we also have to understand is exactly what you said as far as military might. If we want to obtain freedom, and we do obtain freedom, in order for us to be sovereign, we have to be able to protect our nationhood. And I think that was the problem uh, back in the Reconstruction time, when you look at uh, Black Wall Street and things like that. They had economic prosperity. It was taken away. Right. You know, when you have these militias and these KKKs and these white supremacists that come in and want to bomb, you know, the neighborhood out of jealousy, out of rage, out of hate. The next question to you is, what do you think about this, what's going on in the news as far as Kanye West meeting with Donald Trump and uh, then you had Ray Lewis and then you had uh, Jim Brown? Basically, Trump, Trump is, a, is like, a, this is a circus and Trump is the ringleader. And, you know, now a lot of people who, uh, you know, are part of that kind of circuitry, that's what they're going to do. You know, they, they're going, they, you know, Kanye's going to get likes, Jim Brown's going to get a little bit of influence, you know. But I think Jim Brown's been around for a long time, so who knows what he is, you know, in his path and what he's doing. But I don't know about me with Donald Trump for what. All right, you know, let me tell you my take on it. I kind of was on the side of, like, Kanye, are you serious? Yeah. Like, you just got out of a mental institution, you right. know, and, you know, we all go through what we go through in life. But when you do reappear, you have blonde hair, you have blue eyes, and you're going to meet with someone that has blonde hair and blue eyes. Like, let's look at, you know, the uh, symbolic meaning of that. <laughs> so I didn't take that meeting too serious. And then I heard that um, we had him sign a, a New Yorker article or a New Yorker magazine cover or something with Donald Trump on it. So basically, you went there as a groupie for a photo op. Get the fuck out of here. We can't. We, we don't. We don't. 
thing. I'm speaking for nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You speak yeah, yeah, yeah. for you and his, it's a his, wife, his wife shouldn't have let him make that decision. Yeah, yeah, basically. But I also read, right, that, that, you know, that he spoke out later and when they asked him what he met with Donald Trump about, he said that they talked about um, multiculturalism and they talked about uh, the balance in Chicago. Now, Kanye, you can do more about stopping the violence in Chicago than Trump can. You know what I mean? The only thing Trump is going to do is enact more police. Um, there's going to be more shootings, more arrests, uh, stop and frisk from those that don't even have the criminal nature in them. So that I didn't agree with. Now, as far as Jim Brown, I was a little skeptic. I'm like, ah, what he's doing? You know, why he's meeting with uh, Donald Trump? But then, you know, whether we like it or not, Donald Trump is going to be president. And we have to have a seat at the table. You know what I mean? If we're going to have a voice, we have to have that seat at the table. Now, who is going to be at that table that's representing our best interests? That's the good question. So I think Jim Brown went so he can be that voice that sit at that table. You know what I mean? Here's someone that has a, um, a record of decades of being on the front line fighting for freedom, justice, and equality for uh, those of us that are um So Kanye was just like a... Hey, look that pony. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, so um, I, I think I think that, um, you know, we're we, we, we going to see. You know, we're gonna, we, we, we definitely going to see what, what comes out of this meeting. And I, I just hope people take heed and, and don't forget some of the things that he told Jim Brown that he was going to work on and what he was going to do specifically for the black community. In this age, with the microwave age, everybody wants things quick. Next week, we'll be on to another topic, and six months down the line, we'll be forgetting about this meeting. I, I just think we need to hold him to the fire, you know, hold him accountable. You said you was going to do this. What's up? Why is not being done? You know, because... What did he say? Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, play the clip so that people could see uh, what Jim Brown said the conversation entailed with Donald Trump. We're going to go to a commercial break, and then when we come back, we're going to play that clip, and y'all be the judge. You know, one thing that we don't want to do on this podcast is we don't want to say what someone else said. When we say something, we bring the proof, and we have the receipts. Jim Brown, you support Hillary Clinton. Yes, I did. What brought you to Trump Tower? This guy? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the president of the United States brought me. My president. You know, that's uh, he won it fair and square. He's uh, going to be our man for the next four years at least, probably eight. And he's amenable to listening to people who did not vote for him. He listened to you. You told me in commercial break that you all were in there for a long time time. Yes. What did you talk about and what did you ask of him? We talked about making America a better country. We talked about the poor people. We talked about African American people. We talked about education, getting rid of violence, uh, dealing with economic development realistically, and uh, how to work together. You know, people listening to these NFL greats and the pastor being in this room, I mean, that's a stellar uh, 
you know, lineup of, of men. Uh, but when you're thinking about those who voted for Mr. Trump and the working class in middle America, and certainly you have fought on behalf of a lot of those people for your, for your lifetime, but speak to those people in this country who feel like they're not being listened to and they're not being represented. Well, you almost have the wrong guy. See, I look like a bourgeoisie and middle class, but I've been out there for many, many years in the ghettos across this country. The American program concentrates on being in the community, developing leadership in that community, teaching life skills to those individuals, and teach them how to deal with responsibility of self-determination and how to gain success over working hard and working intelligently. So we're not bourgeoisie. We're not above the people. We are a part of the people. And uh, I can't speak for the pastor. Sure. But I fell in love with him because he really talks about helping African-American black people. And uh, that's why I'm here. You fell in love with Donald Trump today. Well, it isn't really about just Donald Trump. It's about him and the position he occupies. That position is considered the most important person in the world. The most powerful person in the world is supposed to be our president. When he goes through what he went through to become the president, he got my admiration because no one gave him a chance. You know, they, they called him names. Uh, people that called him names when he won, he reached back and brought them along with him. He held no grudges. So who am I to say that I played quarterback when I only played running back? I don't know everything, and I don't try to address everything. But the reception I got today from him, I'll always remember that. Because he listened to us, and he knows that we can bring something to him to help the people of this country. Is that a speech? No, I'm just, I'm, I appreciate you coming through. Speaking of Donald Trump. When we look at his run for the presidential campaign, we have to go back to June 16th, 2015, when he announced that we were inundated by a screws of Mexican rapists. The very next day, on June 17th, 2015, Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, walked into Emmanuel African Methodist Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and shot nine African Americans. And he left a manifesto where he said that he did it because blacks was raping white women. This was all due to the hateful and divisive message that Donald Trump was saying during his campaign run. And this resonated with those who have hate in their heart for black African Americans and we now know that he is going to be the president. So what we have to do, family, we have to be on code. We have to know who he is, what he represents, and how we're going to deal with him accordingly. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman Recognize no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. All right, we're back after our commercial break, and I'm sitting right here with Brother Kofi, also known as KB The Voice. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. We're going to get to our next topic of discussion, and that's about the pipeline. 
and the protest that's going on in Standing Rock. I want you to tell us what the protest is about in Standing Rock and why you think that building the pipeline is a bad idea. All right, well, um, the protest is about the pipeline. Um, I can't remember exactly where it originates from, but they're trying to build this pipeline uh, really close to some native land. And, uh, of course, the natives don't want it because of the threat of oil spills and the destruction that can happen. Um, we've just been looking at some video in Quebec and the uh, a explosion that happened there with, you know, hundreds of people, well, not hundreds, the exact number, uh, I don't remember, but you know, dozens of people, yeah. It was done. So people were killed at this, at this pipeline explosion, and these natives are saying, well, we don't want this oil flowing through uh, our land anyway, or we don't want it you know, being sent to destroy the earth anyway. Because I think one of the things that, that I think is important to remember is that what we're doing is we're um, decreasing the value, the quality of life for future generations. And, you know, you touch on education, that, that gives you a certain standard of um, life and quality of life and understanding the world around you, things like that. So as a result, we should expect that we would want to protect the world. We don't want to destroy it. And there's so many other ways that we can get cars from one place to another. There's so many other alternative energy sources. And the reason why we don't want to do it is because wars have been fought over this oil. Billionaires, trillionaires have been built off of this oil. This is the reason why the price of oil comes down and everybody starts to scatter, you know. Russia wants to, <laughs> Russia and the United States are going and having tough talk and, you know, Iran and so on. So there's a lot of uh, posturing that happens just for oil, specifically for oil. We don't necessarily need it. So why would you put it underneath the ground and be like, well, you know, if somebody wanted to build an oil pipeline underneath the ground, you know, where we're living and where we're at right now, we should be concerned because at any point in time, we could be blown up. Absolutely. You know, our water source also, another thing that we have to be mindful of is that this is the indigenous people's land, you know, so they have a right. They're the owners of this land, technically. As we know, when they sign treaties and they have compromise and agreement, federal government, they seem to be able to come in and consider it a uh, public domain and do what they want. Now, my next question to you is what I would like to call a compromise, because right now under this present administration, which is Obama, that they halt the building of this pipeline. Do you think that there is going to be any changes into that when Trump comes to office? I think the sustained protest is going to really influence how this goes. Because it's going to be really hard for them. At a certain point, they're not going to want to spend so much money starting, restarting, recalculating. They're paying people to sit in trucks and idle all day long for nothing. And the pipeline's not getting built. And that's exactly what those people wanted. So I think if they can continue to do that, it won't be economically viable. They might as well find another way to go, you know, and scrap their losses at a certain point. So whatever that critical mass is, I also think it's interesting that, that the protest or the uh, reprieve was gained after so many thousands of uh, veterans came out. You know, I think I think a lot of other people from a lot of other movements should take note of that because we all have veterans. If we all been fighting for this country and the veterans aren't treated so well that they won't say anything against the uh, against the government, because like, even look at John Kerry. John Kerry ran for president in 2004. He's currently Secretary of State. 
he was a person who opposed the government in their war in Vietnam. So, you know, I, I think there's a movement where veterans should be included into the community and, and asked to amplify the voice of the people who are protesting. Absolutely, absolutely. I really believe that the people that's out there protesting, their voice has been heard. It will continue to be heard as long as they don't give up and feel like the compromise or agreement was reached and that they remain vigilant. So in the words of Kwame Torre, we have to organize, organize, and organize. And by being organized and mobilizing the people, we, we see that change can be done. But we can't be too quick to forget and go back to doing what we normally do. They have to keep the pressure on them. And I think another thing that we should add is that President-elect Donald Trump, you know, he has interests in that company that's building the pipeline. Wow. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. You can, you can go Google that for those that want to find out more information about that. Because like I tell you, don't take what I say. Don't take it on face value. Go do your study, your research, and find out for yourself. Because whatever we say on here, we have proof, we have documentation, and we do bring the receipts. All right, brother. Um, is there anything else you want to discuss before we get up out of here? Uh, no, nah, but I'm glad you brought up uh, Amos Wilson. I just wanted to bring you full circle on that part. You know, oh, okay, go ahead. Dr. Amos Wilson, um, a lot of the things that he talks about, what was his, his, uh, his, his region of study? Wasn't he a psychologist? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he's studying the brain. I think he comes in the line of uh, other, like Francis West Wilson, a psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, matter of fact. Those people, I think, are really important. And it's, I think we have to get back to studying the cultural ramifications of our experience and how it expresses, our, expresses itself um, psychologically because that's given us uh, self-awareness as a people and then it allows us to interface with the uh, larger society and in those terms with that understanding. I think it's really important. So, uh, you know, maybe I, I don't want to uh, throw anybody under the bus, but we need credentialed people definitely, you know, able to show receipts. Shots fired. Shots fired. That's all I'm saying. I know what you're talking about, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, are you familiar with uh, Are you familiar with Joseph E. White? No. He's considered the father of black psychology. Make sure you check him out. He got a couple of YouTube videos. What's his name again? Joseph E. White. Joseph E. White? Yeah. Father of black psychology. He's done a lot. A lot of people follow in his footsteps. Like a loose cannon. You got economics. You know, do with it. You know, we can't figure out how to turn it over. We can't keep it in the community. It's important um, because those are the resources that we can levy to um, protect ourselves. Excuse me. Nah, that's cool. All right, this is Raheem Shabazz with The Voice. KB The Voice. And we are out of here. This is Necessary Blackness. You can tune in next week and catch us live. And we will have another studio guest in here. We have a very special guest, but I'm not going to put that out there. I'm going to let y'all tune in and find out. Real quickly, you have a podcast of your own. What's that podcast? I do. The podcast, uh, my podcast is uh, Look For Me In The Whirlwind. Look For Me In The Whirlwind. And I just talk about a lot of different types of things on there. Um, just current events and stuff like that. 
honestly, it's been out of uh, commission for a little bit. Um, so I need to jump back in there and, you know, do a little bit more promotion of it. So this is an uh, opening for that, you know. Okay, you know, okay. Tour or whatever. Yeah, you KP the voice. You the voice of the people. The people want to hear you. So definitely get that podcast back up. Yeah, I say I say I know I know uh, a little bit about a lot. So there's a lot of things I think I can talk to uh, responsibly and informed about. Um, you know, just I guess the background. I got a, a degree in international studies and economics. It's like a advanced history degree type thing. You know, kind of looking at historic things and looking at current situations and being able to kind of connect the dots with some of that information. As a people that are suffering economically, we need someone of your stature because a lot of people build businesses and they don't last more than three to five years. So I I think that your insight that is definitely necessary and viable for us as a people. And I look forward to checking that podcast out. When the brother do resume it, he said he's going to do that soon. Yeah, so we're going to tune in and we're going to hold him accountable so that we can check out his podcast. Last question. If anybody want to reach you, how can they reach you? Yeah, uh, Deuce Musabi. Deuce Musabi. Yeah. Okay. Make sure y'all check out Deuce Musabi on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter? No, I don't have all that. Nah? nah. Just Facebook? Just Facebook for right now. Yeah. Twitter? Yeah, I do actually do have a Twitter. Uh, what is it called? The International. That's crazy. The International. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's that, That's it for us right here at Necessary Blackness Podcast. And I'm your host, Raheem Shabazz. And he is KP The Voice. And you can catch him in the whirlwind. And I'll see you next week. Peace.